the beauty of one of those is you're base camping. You can go have a bunch of different adventures. Um, you've got a place to store all the gear that you need and you find a good place to camp as a base camp. And then from there, you're hiking, biking, climbing. It's a new phenomenon that has really gained a lot of traction. And we see a lot of those folks in and out of our parking lot every day. Welcome to the Channel Mastery Podcast. If you're a specialty business and brand leader obsessed with understanding what the most effective channels are today to connect with, serve, and sell to your target consumers, then you've just found the perfect podcast and community. My name is Kristen Carpenter, and I'm your host and the founder of Verde Brand Communications, the presenting sponsor of Channel Mastery. Verde created the Channel Mastery Podcast to level the playing field for the specialty brands we serve. Every week on this show, we study how consumer preferences are changing and the evolving channels they like to use to engage with their favorite brands. Once again, welcome to Channel Mastery and subscribe today. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. This is an introduction to a special episode produced by snoozenet.com. And Kristen Hostetter is here with me to talk about this episode. We are awarding, um, Snooze is awarding Steve Kennedy with Moab Gearheads with a brand new award, the Cool Shop Award. This happened back in January. And Kristen and I wanted to pull together a quick video introduction for everybody talking about the award and some other facets that are important. But we just also want to make sure you know this is being recorded at the beginning of April 2020. And our goal is to present some content to you that is not tied to the COVID-19 coverage or um, how all of that is impacting our lives and businesses right now. We wanted to put out a feel-good piece of content. So that's our mission today. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to have you here. I've been wanting to have you on the show for some time, and hopefully this will be the first of many to come. So can you tell our awesome audience about the Cool Shop Award that Snooze has just launched in 2020? Yes, for sure. And um, gosh, it feels like years ago that we actually called Steve and gave him um, the good news that he won our Cool Shop Award. Obviously, we're in such a different place as an industry now than we were a few months ago, even a few weeks ago. And I know it's, um, you know, the coronavirus and how it's impacting us has been all any of us have thought about, talked about. And so it is kind of nice to take the opportunity to talk about something else and something positive. And um, the Cool Shop Award is exactly that. Um, We, starting about, I guess, four years ago now, we started profiling cool shops around the country. And we've done dozens and dozens of them, really looking into different retail shops and what makes them unique and what makes them cool. And we decided that we were going to pull together the best of the best um, in 2019. And so we did a contest and we highlighted one shop per month. And then at the end of the year, we put it out for a crowdsourced voting process to see basically who has the strongest community out there and who really resonates with their community. Cause of course that's what it's all about in specialty retail, as you know, 
and um, opened up the voting. And the voting was open for about four weeks. We got over 42,000 votes, which is by far a record for any that poll or anything. That is incredible. Yeah, 42,000 <laughs> votes. And, and, and more than half of them went to GearHeads. Wow. Um, so yeah, we were totally blown away by that. They won by a landslide. And, you know, I just think it's a really unique shop. I haven't been there. I know you've been there. Uh, I'm dying to go there now. But, you know, it's obviously in a gateway community, a very popular tourist destination. They have a local clientele, but they also have a huge pool of passersby. And the thing that really stood out about Gearheads for us was that they, aside from being sort of a, a really kind of campy, everything, you know, crammed into the space. And you, it's kind of like going on a treasure hunt, apparently, when you go to Gearheads. But aside from that, the, the thing that really stood out is what Steve's been doing for several years is offering everyone free water. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it sounds like such a funny thing, right? Because water's free. But, you know, think about it. You're coming to the desert for an experience. And whether you're going car camping or, or RVing or backpacking or whatever, you know, you're going to have tanks and, and jugs of water in the back of your rig. And, you know, you've got two options. You can go to the local supermarket and buy big plastic jugs, or you can pull into Gearheads and Steve's got this cool, you know, water vending system with big signs out front, come fill up your water. And he offers this free cold filtered water for anybody to, to come take advantage of. And I think it's a really, you know, it's a really fun way to draw people in and um, and provide them something for free and create a talking point and a you know a, a congregating point um, for his customers and um, and obviously it resonates with people because twenty one thousand votes he's doing something right. That's amazing. I mean, first of all, your audience to be that engaged to vote on this to me says so many great things, but it also just heartens me around like how much people care about their local gear shop. Yeah. And so yeah. that's a, just a really, that's awesome in and of itself. For sure. And, you know, I mean, to be, to be honest and transparent, we, you know, we provided each shop who was in the final 12 um, social assets so that they could put that out to their audiences and encourage them to vote. And so it also speaks to, you know, to that, um, that skill set that a shop has is the ab- ability to communicate with their customer base. Um, exactly. Clearly, Steve got his got the word out through his newsletters and through his social following, social channels, and um, was really able to rally his community. So, you know, for that reason, uh, among others, we were really happy to give him the first um, Cool Shop Award. And 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 by the way, this also kind of points to what an awesome shop Gearheads is, and and Steve Kennedy is. The prize was this beautiful banner that we had a um, an artist design and. We uh, we also gave uh, a five hundred dollar um, check basically to the shop with the intent that they would throw a party for their staff a, co- a staff appreciation party, and rather than accept that check, Steve asked us to send it to the access fund to donate it on his behalf to the access fund uh, because they do so much to protect the public lands in his area and I just thought that was um, just a wonderful thing to do. So that I was is proud of him and proud that we could uh, help facilitate that. Yep. And he's a longtime, you know, local of Moab. One of the things I wanted to ask you before we go into the last little uh, question I had is I I know a lot of people will literally tell those who are going to Moab for the first time 
of course you have to see the national parks, et cetera, but don't not go to gearheads. Like it is literally on par with yeah. something that people tell people to do in addition to going to like arches and canyon lands. I'm not kidding. Yeah, that's so cool. And it that's, speaks to the importance of specialty, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So it's that's just really part of- unique. It is. It's like a local, everybody feels like a local. You feel like you're kind of part of that whole part of the industry. I don't know. It's cool. So, and I think one of the most important points is one of the, is the last question I have is ultimately uh, Steve Kennedy and the Gearheads team are very much behind the Plastic Impact Alliance. Can you talk a little bit about the tie in there? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, Steve and so many other retailers are members of the Plastic Impact Alliance. We have, gosh, we have over 360 members of the Alliance currently, everyone from from Verde to, you know, PR companies, um, retailers all around the country, brands all around the country, nonprofits, media entities, all, uh, all companies who have joined us in this pursuit to essentially eliminate single-use plastic from the outdoor industry um, at our trade shows and events and beyond. Um, and, um, and so, you know, I, th- I feel like for the last few weeks, which actually feels like several months and years, time seems to be going so slow during this time of crisis, but plastic really hasn't been on people's um, uh, front of mind and, you know, that's okay. We have, we have other issues that we have to contend with right now. But when we do get through this crisis, um, you know, I'm certain that um, the conversations around plastic will pick up again. Um, we're, you know, we're, we've got some really exciting things going on um, with the Alliance that were ready to kick off um, right before the, the, the pandemic kind of started. And one thing that I was excited about was this polybag pilot program that that I'm organizing with um, 10 to 15 retailers around the country and creating a process by which they can recycle all of the polybags that they receive in their stores. And I've had retailers send me photos of mountains and mountains of polybags that they get from brands when they're, you know, when they're receiving shipments and when they're turning over their stores and they don't have anything to do with these bags. In many cases, they don't, they, they have to throw, give them to the landfill because they don't have a way to recycle them. And, and that's embarrassing to them. It pains them. And so I wanted to create a pilot program where we could handle that for them and, and then take it from there and see where it goes from there. Now, you know, obviously the industry is working towards eliminating polybags in many ways. And I think that is ultimately the long-term goal and we'll get there. But in the meantime, you know, we have to take responsibility for actually recycling the polybags that we send to these retailers, not just dumping them in their laps and expecting them to deal with it because they're not equipped. So the polybag pilot program is something, be on the lookout for um, some more communication about that you know, as things um, sort of quiet down, we're looking for uh, brand sponsors to come in and help us with the cost of that because uh, it is expensive to recycle these bags. We have to ship them to TerraCycle in New Jersey. They take care of them, but they'll collect data on that. And I think, you know, ultimately it's something that we really have to do as an industry for these retailers and for ourselves, for the, the landfills and the oceans to, you know, to just make sure these, these plastic packaging items that we're putting out there are actually getting recycled into 
into new usable products and not ending up in the landfill. So, so yeah, we'll get back to that. Stay tuned and hopefully I'll have some good news to share about that program, you know, later on in the season when we can crank it back up again. That sounds great. Well, I really applaud you and the team for putting that out there and also just for honoring great, hardworking, especially retailers like Steve and his team. So with that, let's share the interview with Steve Kennedy of Moab Gearheads. Thanks so much, everyone. I'm very, very excited to introduce Steve Kennedy to you, who is the founder and proprietor of Moab Gearheads, the recipient of the Snooze Cool Shop Award at the January Outdoor Retailer Show in Denver. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here, Steve. Thanks. It's so nice to talk to you, Kristen. Well, and I feel like we're neighbors because obviously I founded in founded Verde in Durango, Colorado, and I still live here. I have been to your shop, Gearhead, so many times in the past 25 years, Steve. And I am very, very excited that you won the Cool Shop Award. But one of the great parts about the show that we're about to share today with our amazing audience is that we get to talk about how your Cool Shop is going to be evolving in 2020. Well, that sounds great. We're so glad to be part of this and uh, nice to hear how long you've been a customer of ours. We have a pretty loyal following and it's nice to have your name on that list. Absolutely. So just to make sure we all kind of start on the same page here, let's give the um, audience your founder's story. Can you tell us about how Gearheads came to be in the Moab community? Certainly. I'll first say that I joined after a few years. My brothers, Doug and Greg, actually started Gearheads back in, uh, on Friday the 13th in March of 1998. Oh, that's amazing. Um, it is. And uh, that turned out to be uh, a good luck omen. And, uh, of course, the store has grown a lot since then. But initially, um, the brothers who were looking for some sort of business venture to take place in Moab, Gearheads was almost a place where you go have dinner and, and drinks. They originally were going to start a restaurant and on the way to the bank to sign the papers for the financing and sign a lease to open this little pub, my brother Doug pulled over and said, I just can't do it. I just can't go back in the restaurant bar business, come home smelling like chicken every night. So <laughs> brother Greg was just amazed. He goes, what, what, now you're telling me this now? And uh, so they decided to regroup and they started thinking about what they could do. And the idea of Moab needing uh, a gear shop that could cater to hikers and bikers and, and uh, climbers and jeepers and, the, and everyone. Um, so they began uh, the Gearhead store, putting that together. And the name came about when Brother Doug went on a field trip hike with his daughter's group of friends. And there was a few moms going. He decided to go along with them. And as he leaned over his backpack, on the, set it on a rock and started digging through his gear to find something he needed, the woman was just amazed at the amount of gear he had and just looked at him and said, what are you, some kind of gearhead? <laughs> and that's where the name came from. That's perfect. And it actually ended up being almost like this evergreen name that we all like to raise our hands and be part of that tribe, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. And um, so that started uh, Gearhead Store, which originally was 1,000 square feet and uh, consisted primarily of a lot of surplus and, and gear they could buy wherever they want. You don't get opened up with some of the big names in the business by just saying, I have a store. 
it takes quite a bit to convince them that, that they should uh, allow you to carry the product line. Uh, of course, we've matured since then to the point where vendors come to us now and want us to carry their lines. But back in the day, they had to fight really hard to get people like Mountain Hardware, Patagonia, Black Diamond, and all these companies to consider doing business. They have to know you're really going to be serious retailer, that you're going to represent their product well and provide the service they expect to uh, give to the uh, end user. So as time went on, the store grew uh, to 2,000 square feet. And that's when I came on board. And uh, we grew more and more each year and finally grew to 5,000 square feet, which is uh, what GearHeads, uh, most people know GearHeads is about 5,000 square feet now. Wow, that's amazing. And so the founding of GearHeads is actually, so it's over 20 years old, correct? Yes, we are in our 22nd year. That's amazing. And you're obviously still in in three. I'm sorry, in three days, it'll be 22 years. That's right. We're recording this right before Friday the 13th. Um, Yes. That's awesome. So it's still a family-run independent business, correct? Absolutely. So I have a lot of questions that I'd love to ask you in our um, rehearsal call. We talked about how Moab, Utah has really become almost this iconic outdoor recreation example of how an economy can be, I think, augmented or you know, supplanted by outdoor recreation. Obviously, the, the town itself has a history of extraction industry. I know there's you know, a lot of history um, a lot of public lands and lands owned by different entities around Moab, but still recreation has stepped out as a, as an absolute force and shaper of that economy. And I think it's one that a lot of other rural communities look to. And it's also just a very important hub community to larger brands as they tell their global story, because there's obviously just these iconic backdrops that we've we've all seen beautiful videos and images of. So I would love to have you give us like a first person's account of how the community is evolving and changing, let's say in the past three years, um, because I know that it has just really boomed. And, you know, I would love to get your take on how the community has changed and what you attribute that to primarily, and and then talk about how you're serving your customer base. Well, that's, uh, it, it is a, an interesting and complicated story, I suppose, is the best way to put it. You know, towns either grow or dry up and blow away. And this one certainly took the choice of growing and it happened at an incredible rate, especially when you mentioned three years ago, I would say three to five, six years ago, um, the growth really started coming on strong. And now um, it's just incredible how fast it's, it's grown and it's taken a lot to try to keep up with the demand of so many visitors. Mm-hmm. The travel bureau has done great job in, in getting the word out to really worldwide about what Moab has to offer, not just not just Moab, but actually the, the five national parks, the big five as they call them, major uh, advertising campaign throughout the, the world, really. Mm-hmm. And it has uh, definitely drawn a lot of visitors um, to these small rural Utah towns. And the growth has been difficult. You could ask uh, 50 people in Moab what they think about it. And most will probably say they love it. And some will say they don't. Uh, things like water and sewer and schools and restaurants. And uh, it, it took a lot of work to, to really get to the point where where these large crowds can be handled. And, and actually, we do a pretty good job of it. 
but they're still building here. In fact, as we speak, the original Gearhead store that, that most of your audience and yourself are, are uh, familiar with is uh, just about ready to get demolished. Isn't that interesting? The <laughs> There's a dichotomy. Yeah, I mean, you're tiny. <laughs> yes. Uh, in fact, uh, Friday the 13th, they may have the first bulldozer. Uh, they've actually started today digging up some uh, water lines and things and trying to get all that squared away. But uh, the owner of the property, uh, who rented from his family for years and years and years, the son has taken it over. And he's going to build a very small, very nice boutique hotel with a gearhead store on the main level adjacent, adjacent to the lobby. So in a year, we'll be back. I forgot to mention that during this year of construction, we have moved about a mile south of our, uh, of our location to temporary, temporary spot that we're conducting business and everything. It's gearheads just in a different building right now. We still have our pre-filtered water. We still have our huge array of products and, and uh, everything that you expect when you think about gearheads. We're just in a different building and the building's working out nicely. And it's um, at 1040 South Main, where before we were at 471 South Main. So we're about a mile south. Mm-hmm. We'll be there for a year while they build this new project with the hotel and the gearheads. And then at the end of that year, when they're ready to have us back, then we'll be moving everything back in there. And uh, we'll be about the same size as we were before the move. And that's exactly where I thought our audience might find a lot of value in what you're about to share, because ultimately you come from a cool shop award in a shop that's literally going to be changing and back in the same location, everyone. But who out there has the opportunity to have a successful independent retail entity like this with an established following who has the opportunity to move back intentionally into the same location and I know that it's obviously you're still in a rental situation, but you expressed to me in our recorded or sorry, our, our rehearsal call that you do have, you know, some leverage in terms of building out the space. So it's almost like you're in this dream scenario where like you have a successful business and you're going to go back into a brand new space that has more intention behind it, same square footage, et cetera. So I thought it would be super interesting and fun for you to share what you think the store needs to reflect in terms of how it should be different to serve an evolving target shopper. And obviously your target shopper, I think, is heavily comprised of tourists, but you also have a pretty local, loyal, and regional following. You have, I think, product that just is not easy to find in other places. You've, you know, you've had that and people rely on, on uh, driving in to pick up what they need, even if they are not tourists, for example. So let's spend a little bit of time talking about you know, I, I realize you don't have carte blanche. We're going to build it exactly what we need. But I'd love to hear just a few insights in terms of what you're hoping to evolve in terms of the physical space itself when you move back in there. Yeah, that's been kind of fun to be part of the design piece. I mean, we had to kind of bargain back and forth for square footage and, and uh, certain things we just felt were necessary, such as our, you know, we're known for our free filtered water. That mm-hmm. is uh, Brother Doug's lost leader, if you, if you will. <laughs> Um, when they first started gearheads back in the day, they, they sold water. And, uh, I, I think that lasted about two weeks and Doug said, sell the water. Why sell water? Let's just give our customers free water. 
they come to the desert, they need good water to drink, and we'll provide it. So um, from almost the beginning, the free water was something we're known for, gosh, uh, really all over, uh, mm-hmm. especially when you talk about the regional folks and, and people that come in from all parts Utah and, and uh, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico. I mean, these people all come with their with their water containers empty. They don't worry about it. And they get here and they're getting ready to go on the river or, or go for a, a hike or whatever. And they're filling up their water. So our water station placement is going to be right inside uh, one of the main doors. And it's being designed uh, so that it's a lot easier for folks to grab the water without having to walk all the way through the store and uh you know try to dodge people so the water station will be more convenient once we get uh, to the new building that's awesome and then other things that we've designed is uh you know how the part that doesn't affect customers quite as much but how we want the receiving area to look like to be able to expedite freight in and, and get things out marked and out on the floor but in terms of the interior the placement of the of the registers where they're kind of in the going to be in the middle of the store so we've got good sight lines to be able to assist people and uh, be able to have uh, good traffic flow if you're waiting to check out we're designing a, a big long uh, display area for all of our climbing equipment which is another item we're really known for is how much climbing gear we pack into uh, into our store absolutely and that will <laughs> <laughs> That is one of the kind of the treasures. Even folks that aren't climbers will come in and just gaze at that wall and go, wow, what are those things? Yeah. <laughs> and because uh, it's pretty, all that nice shiny gear hanging there and it attracts uh, certainly the climbers, but just about everybody wants to look at it, hold it and ask about it. And uh, So we're going to definitely devote plenty of wall space in the new building to that end as well as the pack area and uh, tents. And, and they're all going to be, so hopefully the flow will be the best yet in Gearhead's evolution. Mm-hmm. It'll be fun to go in there. And, you know, you can put it down on paper until you start unloading things and putting them displays up and loading them up with product. It's, it's you know, things move around a little bit. But we've got a pretty good idea how it's all going to look. And, you know, we've uh, gotten even to the fine detail of we need you know, high-speed cable here, and we need speaker wire there. And and uh, so that's been kind of fun because when we get there, hopefully, you know, all these things will come together smoothly and we can make the, the transition to the new building uh, maybe a little less painful than the move to the temporary headquarters because that was, that was rushed and, uh, you know, not a lot of pre-planning. We just suddenly one day go, we've got to go. It's just so interesting, though, because it's like a forced introspection. And obviously, there's so much evolution on the national level with retailers. Um, And you do have just a high, high influx of tourists there. I think the only other town that I would think is comparable is Jackson Hole in the summer. You know, like they literally have done such a good job marketing it that it's almost overcrowded. But Moab has more space and more amenities. And I do feel like they actually handle the flow better. But your demographic is continuing to evolve. And now that you've had like two moves, it's like maybe one move you did a little Marie Kondoing. Who knows? Like, did you end up <laughs> deciding to maybe consolidate or get rid of anything as you're going into this temporary location for a year, knowing that you're going to be coming back into a new footprint? Well, there certainly it's like moving your your residence uh, as you start packing things up and 
figuring out, do I really want to move this to the new space or not? You may, you may get rid of some things and then you also make mental notes of things you're going to have to add to that space. There's some, there's some of our fixtures and things that probably because of how worn they are over the years may not make it to the new building. We may have to say, well, you know, that, that kind of piece is a little rough. We're going to have to replace it. So there'll be a lot of uh, work on, on figuring that out, but we've, we've gotten rid of a bunch of display. We've cleaned out, we've found product that we thought we'd lost or misreceived and, and, uh, Oh, there those are, you know, we've found like boxes and boxes of these uh, really good tent stakes. And we were reordering all the time. We probably had eight boxes full of them and we just discovered them during the move. So, um, (laughs) yeah. Anything else that you discovered? Because that's actually really entertaining. (laughs) Oh, let's see what else. You discover... Well, you discover that over the years, sometimes when you have items you're not sure how to dispose of or get credit for, uh, returns you've done or broken items or something that came in defective, and you suddenly realize, boy, there's a lot of stuff here to try to figure out what to do with. So we're, you know, we're trying to figure out, do we get, is this something that uh, legitimately we can send back to a vendor for credit? Um, do we need to throw it away and move on? Um, can any of this be reused, recycled? So you, you go through a lot of that and mm-hmm. I mean, we weren't totally out of control, but you know, when you're in a running a store for 22 years, some of those little corners or bottom shelves in the, especially in the back room, things get thrown and forgotten about and you move on day to day business. And, and then when you make a move like this, you're like, Oh, look at that. That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's been, that's been fun to kind of, get things cleaned up and make sense of it. In fact, just today I was at the new location um, going through a bunch of miscellaneous boxes of stuff that, you know, we had people throw in the box and move. And now I'm uh, going through them box by box, trying to figure out this is good. This is garbage. This can be reused. That's kept us busy. I bet. So let's also talk about the fact that you have this evolving clientele. So you have for 22 years, I think done an exceptional job serving the person who just valiantly lives out of their car and loves recreation. So we love to call them in a very respectful way, dirtbags. And we all feel we belong to that (laughs) tribe, I think. But at the same time, the people living out of their cars are a little different today with the advent of built out sprinters. Can you talk a little bit about kind of just how you see the, the tourism clientele evolving in Moab? Well, you know, all these people are very near and dear to our hearts because they've helped build the gearheads in Moab and the community along the way. And it is my first experience ever where you interview somebody and you say, do you live here? Go, well, I'm willing to when they're applying for a job. Uh, Uh (laughs) And a lot of them do live out of their vehicles and which, you know, I'm not sure I could do that, but but many of them do it really well. The sprinter van thing. And you see more and more of that. That's really a coming lifestyle that a lot of people are enjoying. And, you know, they have, they have the room to live in their vehicle better than if they're trying to live out of their Subaru. And we're seeing more and more of that. In fact, we've noticed over the last, oh, about three years that our tent business is slowing down and some RV supply stuff, that business is increasing. That's super interesting. Yeah. I mean, the tent sale thing for the first little bit kind of mystified us. We'd go to the outdoor retailer show and a vendor, you know, we'd talk to one of our reps and he's like, 
you know, we haven't put any tents on this order yet. Well, we haven't because we still have some from last season. They just haven't sold. And they're like, really? I wonder why not? Well, it just kind of occurred to me looking at the traffic coming in and out of our parking lot. There's a lot of people that are in hard-sided vehicles. And, you know, they've got their climbing gear, their bicycles, you know, all this stuff organized in these big vans. And they've got a bed and they've got, you know, a lot of them have little kitchenettes inside there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've seen a lot of business kind of switch from the high-end tents and uh, the high-end sleeping bags more to big, luxurious sleeping pads that you would never think of carrying on your back and RV toilet paper and other supplies, wag bags and things that people need. And uh, it's shifted a bunch. Now, you still have have the, the, the backpackers, and there's plenty of them. Mm-hmm. And they do come in and they're looking for the high-end, lightweight tents to carry and water filters. So there's still a lot of those guys. Mm-hmm. You're seeing more and more of the car camping evolve into a RV camping. Interesting. Situation. That's super interesting. Does that mean you're kind of evolving your uh, brand partners on that front? Are you starting to work with more RV-oriented I would say not, I mean, it's not RVs per se. Like I have a feeling the vehicle supported adventure is probably smarter in terms of how we would describe this demographic if they're coming into your shop, but maybe not. Maybe you're seeing people who, you know, have actual class three RVs like coming into your shop and looking for for supplies. We're seeing all of it really, to be honest. You know, everything from there's still that that guy or gal that'll, They'll be living out of what we would consider a pretty small vehicle. Um, a lot of school buses, a lot of uh, C-class RVs, pull behind trailers, and a lot of the Sprinter vans. So there's a, there's a lot more of those guys coming in and out of here than there used to be by a long shot. Um, I also have to ask with just your 22 years of business under your belt in Moab, how about overlanding? Because I know people who have been in areas like yours kind of scratch their heads and say overlanding. Like that's what we've always done. Now it has a name. What is that exactly? And obviously there's consumer trade shows or consumer shows around that. A lot of social media communities of people doing custom builds, et cetera. So have you been having that demographic come in as well? Are you talking about the folks that are actually living on the road for years? Is that what you mean by overlanding? I almost feel like in the in the in the lens of Moab, so you have this incredible jeeping and HOV community already, right? And then you have right. the RVs, and um, I think Overland is uh, like basically Toyotas that have um, pop up campers on the back, or Toyota trucks that is, or um, high clearance vans. So so four wheel drive Sprinter vans could fall into place. So. Flagstaff, Arizona, which is another neighboring town to both you and I, hosts the Overland Expo West every year. And I believe this year it's in May. Um, And they have a whole basically four-day trade show with um, or consumer show with uh, education and lots and lots of vendors, including big vendors like Sportsmobile, et cetera. Like those are kind of the overlanding people. They And a lot of them do international overlanding trips, et cetera. So it seems like that is almost like a Captain Obvious. Like, yes, we have those. We have for decades, <laughs> but it actually is a whole new consumer sector now um, out there in outdoor. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct about that. They, 
there's a lot of them on the road now. We see we see them literally every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and we even see some folks that bring their rather large ones over from Europe, like float yeah. them over on a boat and then tour the country. So there's a lot of that going on. And the beauty of, of one of those is you're base camping. You know, yep. you can go have a bunch of different adventures. Um, you've got a place to store all the gear that you need and you find a good place to camp as a base camp. And then from there, you're hiking, biking, climbing. So it, it's just become, it's a new phenomenon that has really gained a lot of traction. And, and uh, we see a lot of those folks in and out of our parking lot every day. I'm sure you do. And it's also interesting. I thought as we're kind of looking to wrap up here, I wanted to be, to be sure that I asked you a couple more questions. And one of those is, you know, the fact that you're going to be in a higher end hotel in the same location. Uh, I, I have a feeling you absolutely won't see attrition from your loyalists, myself included, but you also are going to gain to be exposed to, I think, possibly a higher end demographic staying in the hotel. And I bet there's going to be some very cool visual merchandising opportunities there. But are you planning anything on, um, you know, creating merchandising or a feeling of inclusivity, if you will, with like a much higher end clientele that you're not used to catering to? We certainly understand we're going to have uh, perhaps another. Uh, class or group of customers that are going to be staying at the hotel that are perhaps more um, sightseers, you know, day hikers, that kind of thing, which we get a lot of those folks as it is. But certainly with a hotel, um, I think there's, I think it's slated to have 32 or 35 suites. So it's not gigantic. It'll be still kind of a smaller, kind of still have a cozy feeling to it. But we're certainly aware that um, the merchandising at the uh, at the door that that enters through the lobby of the hotel is going to be something designed to attract people to come in and and take us take a look at us. Um, whether that could be some sort of uh, souvenirs, t-shirts, and things, you know, just to kind of get them to come in and browse. And you know, people that come in and for those types of activities are are customers that that are needing things like footwear to hike in and sunscreen and hats and buffs. And, you know, so there's a lot to offer those people. So we're certainly going to dress it up on that entrance, if you will, to kind of lure those folks in and and show them who we are. That's awesome. And I also look forward to seeing how you'll continue to do your um, grassroots marketing and word of mouth to your existing people as well, because that'll be fun. I think there might be some fun marketing and messaging opportunities there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we love our customer base and it is, it's wide, it's varied. It comes from all over, literally all over the planet. And we really feel strongly about uh, providing excellent customer service. We're really picky when we choose team members because we understand that they're the ones that are really, um, you know, greeting our customers and talking to them and helping find solutions for their activities here and making them feel at home and uh, answering questions about where to go, what to do, where to hike, where to climb. And we've got, we've got experts in almost every facet of what Moab has to offer. We have a loyal group of customers such as yourself, and many more like you that uh, visit us almost every year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they walk in, they know the drill, they bring their friends in, and it's just a lot of fun. And then 
it's always easy, especially in our older building, to spot a new customer because they kind of walk in the front door and look up and go, wow, and kind of stare up in amazement. One day, this young couple did just that, and I recognized they must be their first-time visitor. So I walked over and greeted them, and I uh, said, Dave, do you mind telling me how you found us? They said, well, we were camping in Yellowstone, and we got to know the group next to us. There was another couple. We got to know them, and we would have campfires at night. And uh, one day they said, well, where are you guys going next? And we told them Moab. And they said, you've got to go see Gearhead's Outdoor Store. <laughs> they didn't tell them don't miss Arches or make sure to go to Delicate Arch. They said, <laughs> you've got to go see Gearhead's. That's so awesome. That kind of gave me a little, you know, I really enjoyed hearing that. And uh, so I, I did a little advertising under that light where if you're coming to visit Moab, there's three must-see attractions. Arches National Park, Canyonlands National Park, and Gearhead's Outdoor Store. Not necessarily <laughs> in that order. And I love it. That was kind of fun. We used that on the radio. We used it to print ads, and it was just a lot of fun. That's awesome. I also, you know, before we wrap up here, I want to make sure that everybody listening knows about the Access Fund donation that you made as part of your Cool Shop Award, as well as I'd love for you to update us on what's going to happen with your popular fuel canister recycling program, as well as your single-use plastic ban membership that you have going with AIM Media and Snooze. Well, okay, great. First off, we're very uh, thankful to our customers that, that voted for us for the Cool Shop Award. We were very excited to, to win that. And when we did, you know, of course, everybody, the employees were all, oh, store party, store party, have fun. And we got <laughs> to thinking about it and thought there was a lot of people involved in, in sharing Gearhead story and, and voting and visiting us that we just thought, wouldn't it be better to put this money towards good use? And the Access Fund is a group we've donated in many different ways over the years. And we're always just thrilled to help them. They have a great respect for the environment here. They help educate people and, and you know, they work on trails and, and uh, restrooms and, you know, a lot of stuff to help pr- protect this fragile desert environment. So we were just thrilled to do that. And we were also fortunate that they were able to just uh, get with those guys and cut the check and send it to them. So we were really pleased. And just to thank our team, we'll just let you know, we didn't leave them out. When we moved to the new location, there was plenty of room for a back deck with a, we bought them a barbecue. So now they can, on busy weekends, they can go buy some hamburger. Or we, you know, throw them a little burger cook off once in a while. So they still got a little reward out of the deal. That's <laughs> we awesome. were happy to do that. And then in terms of the recycling programs, if you're an outdoor enthusiast, you love recycling. I mean, mm-hmm. with almost rare exception, an outdoor hiker, camper, climber really cares about the environment. So one of the problems we noticed was the volume of camp fuel canisters that were coming, people asking, do you recycle these? And we were unfortunately having to say no. And they're going to the landfill here. And not only is it bad to dispose of all that extra stuff in the landfill, they're also kind of dangerous when they have residual fuel left in them mm-hmm. and, you know, it could blow up and, and hurt somebody working at the landfill or uh, in a dumpster somewhere. So we started thinking about how we could do it. And I got with our recycling folks here in town and 
they said, well, if they were punctured and there was no pressure, we might be able to see if our, uh, if we could sell it as, as metal to our guy that buys the metal from us. And I said, well, okay. So we contacted a local here in Moab that's done a lot of work for us. And he designed this really cool puncture device. And so we would then puncture the cans at gearheads on our deck. And then I'd run them up and sure enough, they were able to sell them. So we had a special bin at the recycling center that gearheads would come in and unload these, oh, I don't know, a couple times a week during the season. We get a lot of them. And it's just known with such popularity, we kind of ran out of a good space to do it. So I met with the recycle people and offered to give them the puncturing device and haul the canisters up to them. So all I have to do is puncture them, pull the plastic off of them, throw them in a bin, and sell them. So that has just worked out just terrifically. We're just thrilled that we've solved that piece of it. That's and so awesome. now we're taking all those, yeah, green, you know, the green propane canisters and then the isobutane, like you get with your jet boil and MSR stoves and things. We're doing those as well and butane canisters. So that's just solved a major problem here and everybody's happier for that. And now uh, we're going to be part of the, and you actually probably know more of the details of the uh, plastic coming in from the vendors' products. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and that's awesome. You could probably speak to that better than me because we're just, just getting invited into that. We're gonna, I know they're going to send us a box and we can fill it up with the plastic and send it in for recycling. That's exactly right. Yep. Um, and that is something that Snooze and AIM Media have pioneered and it has really taken off like wildfire. So mm-hmm. it's a fantastic way, I think, to um, help you, I think, with your employees, be a model for your local communities. And I think that also is like the tail that wags the dog of the brands. And it, we've already seen it do just that. So hats off to Snooze and the um, AIM Media team for launching that. I think, you know, turnkey program that's still evolving. So we're mighty excited to be part of it. Yep. And right on the website at snoozenet.com, there is a thumbnail image at the top right of the site on Plastic Impact Alliance, and you can click on that and join it. So I can put all the all the notes, or sorry, links in the show notes as well. So I'm glad. Well, that'd you- be great because, yeah, I just think it's it just kills us to throw that plastic away. We really don't have much choice. Uh, there was nothing we could do with it. So to have this opportunity to to recycle it is just, we're so thrilled with that. And we look forward to uh, spreading the word to other retailers when we, you know, we see some of our competitors and and uh, see people at trade shows and we'll pass the word on the program and get more people on it. You know, Moab has recently banned plastic one-use shopping bags. Okay. And, uh, and we're really, we're excited to see that happen because you, Gosh, you just see them blowing everywhere. And we actually quit using them before the band came in. There was some talk about the band coming, and we thought, you know, let's just lead the way here and do it now and show people that, you know, it's not that much pain involved. It might be a little bit more expense buying the paper bags, but that's so much better than sending that plastic off, which ends up in our oceans. Yep. And also... Blowing around your five national parks. I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's also an impact right, right at home with where you, when you live in an area like you do. So, well, I just want to say, you know, applause to you, Steve, and to your team at Gearheads. And please know, 
you literally had a landslide win on this. And um, we're very, very proud to have you on the podcast. And I'd love to do another show with you in about a year to talk about the unveiling of your brand new location. Again, it'll be in the same location, but it'll be a brand new building. I can't wait to check it out. I know it also has some green building features that you're really proud to be part of too. Yes. And we'll, we're, uh, we're excited. We'd love to do another uh, um, discussion with you when that comes uh, to town, our new location. So um, we look forward to seeing you again. Yep. I actually have a spring break is coming right up here for, for us here in Southwest Colorado. So you will be seeing us again here pretty soon in a couple of weeks. I'm glad I know where your new location is. Yeah. One mile South, you'll see us. It's signed very well. And it's kind of kitty corner from the Maverick. Everybody knows where the Mavericks are. So Yep. Awesome. Okay. Well, congratulations again. And I so appreciate you uh, sharing your story and being on the Channel Mastery Podcast for Snooze. Thank you so much, Kristen. We appreciate being part of it and had fun doing so. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you're finding value in the Channel Mastery Podcast, and I certainly hope you are, I'd love to ask that you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as rate and review the show on iTunes. Doing so helps more people discover the content, more specialty business and brand leaders can be helped by the incredible resources we're offering every week on the show. I also would like to invite you to join our community at channelmastery.com or verdepr.com. Sign up with your email and you'll receive special resources and content created just for friends of the podcast. You'll also receive advance notice of new Channel Mastery trainings and offerings. Thanks for listening and see you next week.